0: Well, we're going through the gospel according to Mark, verse by verse, and so open your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. And today the title is simply Light and Truth. You know, you've probably heard the expression about somebody that's not too bright, not the brightest bulb in the drawer or something like that. And I've learned through the years, been in Texas, I don't really make fun of Aggies anymore. And I don't mess with Baylor Bears or even Texas Tech or UT uh so I heard about a story about a Razorback fan (laughs) (laughs) saw an advertisement for a, a $50 cruise so he went to the address and knocked on the door and said this is where you get the $50 cruise the guy said yeah he handed him $50 and the guy took a bat and knocked him out and and the Razorback woke up floating on an inner tube in a farm pond behind that house and beside him was another razorback because he had his Suey hat on. And the Razorback who just woke up said, uh, I wonder if they serve food on this cruise. And the other Razorback said, They didn't last year. <laughs> well, today we're going to be talking about light and brightness. And let me just say at the outset. You know, there are some messages that are very, very, very simple, but this is, goes a little deeper. And if I don't give you this uh, caveat up front, you may have, be saying after the message, well, that was a little over my head. So here's what I'm challenging you to do. Raise your head, okay? Pay close attention. Because if you ever wondered about what's going to happen to somebody that's living on the other side of the world never had a Bible, never heard a gospel sermon, never been in church, never even heard the name of Jesus. How are they going to be judged by God? Because really the Bible addresses that and it has some very important truth to say about that. And light and truth are, are used interchangeably uh, in the New Testament. So let's read this passage of scripture, Mark 4, beginning in verse 21. And if you're willing and able to stand I would invite you to stand as we read God's holy word. Now, remember, Jesus is out in a boat just a little ways off the shore, speaking to a crowd of thousands. He also said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden that will not be revealed and nothing concealed that will not be brought to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him listen. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. By the measure you use, it will be measured to you and more will be added to you. And then here's a one sentence parable. For whoever has, more will be given to him. And whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Let's skip down to verse 33, and let's just read a section about how Jesus is using parables. He was speaking the word to them with many parables like these, and they were able to understand. He did not speak to them without a parable. Privately, however, he explained everything to his own disciples. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, as I said, light and truth are important to God. Because they both represent his character, his nature, uh, truth in essence, light in essence. And many times Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In fact, in Psalm chapter 43, verse 3, we read these words, Send your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy mountain, to your dwelling place. Have you ever been in court or watched a, a courtroom television show or movie? When a witness is sworn in to testify, they usually raise their hand and somebody, the court bailiff says, do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I know he means uh, the whole truth as you understand it or or what you experience, but I always kind of chuckle a little bit whenever I I hear that phrase, the whole truth, because guess what? None of us have the whole truth. Only God has the whole truth. And throughout our lives, as followers of Jesus Christ, God reveals to us more and more and more truth. And I've been walking with the Lord for over 50 years, and he's still revealing new nuggets of truth to me. The problem is sometimes people want to receive so much truth that it kind of overwhelms them, like trying to get a sip of water out of a fire hydrant. And sometimes too much truth can overwhelm us. There's actually a poem that was written by Joria Georgia Galbraith called White Revelations that addresses this. She writes To human eyes, too much of light is blinding as the blackest night, and this is so too of the mind, in total ignorance is blind. But more truth that it can absorb will overwhelm the mental orb, so lest our vision burn to ashes. God shows us truth in bits and flashes white revelations that the brain can comprehend and yet stay sane and we poor fools demand truth's noon who scarce can bear its crescent moon now one thing we all need is the truth about Jesus Christ truth about God and we need to be in the light Jesus here is talking about don't take a light and put it under a bed or under a table. Now in the Sermon on the Mount, he was using that about our own personal testimony. And he said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. But here, this light he's really talking about is the light of the witness of God himself. So this is a very simple message in the outline. First, we're going to talk about light and then we're going to talk about truth. Okay. All right. First point, God's light And here's the point. God has revealed himself to every person. He has revealed himself to every person. I mentioned a while ago, somebody on the backside of the world, far away from here, who's never seen a Bible, never been to church, never heard the word Jesus. Did you know what? God has already revealed himself to that person. In fact, the Bible says here, John 12, 46... Jesus said, I have come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. And I love the first part of the gospel according to John. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a parallel with Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he said, let there be light. In the beginning of the gospel, according to John, in the beginning was the word, the logos, and the word was God, and the word was with God. And then in verse 9, it says about Jesus in John 1, 9, it said he was the light for everyone coming into the world. In other words, Jesus came to be a light, not just for those of us who would read the Bible or grew up in, as Christians, but he, he is a light to everyone. So the Bible has some very important truth to say about how God reveals himself to everyone. And you find it in Romans chapter 1. You can look on the screen or you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 19. The Bible says, what can be known about God is evident among them, meaning everybody. Okay, not just us with Bibles. Because God has shown it to them. And here's how he does it. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen. Where do you see that? Since the creation of the world, underline that creation, being understood through what he has made, as a result, people are without excuse. So just imagine somebody who never had a Bible, never went to church, never heard the name Jesus, they die and they stand before God. And they say to him, you know what, I've got a good excuse, God. I I never went to a church and never read a Bible. Nobody ever told me about Jesus. That's my excuse. But yet the Bible says that everyone is without excuse. So what does that mean? Well, even if you've never read a Bible, God has revealed himself very clearly with two very strong witnesses. It's like if it was in a court of law, two testimonies, two expert witnesses testify to the existence of God. Witness number one, we could call that God's outer witness, is creation. God's outer witness is creation. That's what he said in Romans 1. Now, what does that mean? That means anybody living on any place on the planet, they can look up at the night sky and look at the stars and the moon and the sun, and they have to think, you know, somebody bigger than me did all this, made this. I'm just a tiny little speck, and somebody intelligent designed this and built this. But, you know our culture, our humanistic postmodern culture today says, no, there was no intelligent design behind us or the world. It was just the big bang theory. And, you know, it just all happened by chance and by luck. But, you know, folks, that doesn't make much sense. It takes more faith to believe the big bang theory and that we're all just, you know, result of chance than it does to believe the word of God. I mean, just imagine going to South Dakota and looking up at Mount Rushmore at those 60-foot-tall carved faces of presidents, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Theodore Roosevelt, Joe Biden. <laughs> now, I don't think he's going to make it, Do you know? I mean, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. And you're there, and you ask the park ranger, wow, that's beautiful. How did it happen? And he said, oh, through a, centuries of erosion and earthquakes, those faces just appeared said, no way well that's exactly what some people do they look around at the complexity of this creation the complexity of the human body and they say yep that just sort of happened no there's somebody intelligent behind that and whether you've never read a bible or not you have to suspect that there is an intelligent designer intelligent creator Years ago, I was flying back from a mission trip somewhere overseas. I can't remember the country, but I was sitting next to a fella who asked me what I did. And of course, I told him I was a pastor, and I asked him what he believed. And he didn't believe in God, never went to church, and so I just asked him, "How do you think we came to be and creation and everything?" He said, "No, it was all just you know chance, a matter of time and chance." Uh, and I said, "Well, it's kind of like this Boeing Seven Forty Seven we're on right now. Did you know that there are over one million parts to this airplane?" That's keeping us in the air right now. So how do you think this airplane, this jet, came to be? Do you think there was an explosion in a junkyard and boom, these million parts came together to form this airplane? And he didn't, you know, pray to receive Christ or anything like that, you know, but he just say, I never thought of it like that. Folks, just think about how intricate your human body is. So somebody made you. This is, this is you're not some accident somebody made you and so creation is a great testimony for the presence of God you know I used to use a watch as an example but kids don't wear watches anymore consider your smartphone okay did you know your smartphone if it's an iPhone 10 or better has 36,000 times the computing power that the Apollo uh NASA used to launch the Apollo space flight into the moon 36,000 times more computing power in your smartphone today. Hey, did that just happen? Did it just accidentally, a bunch of tiny little electronic parts just come together and there's a phone? No. Somebody designed it and created it. And that's why God witnesses to the whole world through creation. So there's a first expert witness, creation. Second expert witness, God's inner witness, is Conscience conscience. Did you know every person, whether they've ever read a Bible or not, they have a sense of right and wrong, evil and good. Even before there were the Ten Commandments that say you shall not murder, people knew inherently and innately it was wrong to kill someone else. They just know it's wrong to take something that belongs to somebody else. Now, There are evil people who've denied the pangs of guilt of their conscience and they do terrible things, but we're all born with that sense of right and wrong. In fact, the Bible teaches that, okay? In in, uh, Romans 2, 14, if you're going to turn to that, Paul talks about the law, the moral law of God, and he talks about how people who don't even have a Bible have this inner sense of a moral code. And so I'm just going to substitute the word Bible every time he uses the word law, okay? Here's what the Bible says. So when the Gentiles, we're talking about people that don't have the Old Testament, who do not by nature have the Bible, do what the Bible demands, they're actually a Bible to themselves, even even though they do not have the Bible. They show the work of the Bible... Look at this, is written on their hearts. Their consciences confirm this. So everybody, whether you read a Bible or not, you know innately it's wrong. Somebody said that your conscience is like a triangle that's in your soul with three sharp edges. And every time you do something wrong, your your conscience sort of punctures a part of your soul and you feel a sense of guilt. But what happens through the years is that as you continue to deny your conscience and do what is wrong, the sharp edges of that triangle round down to become a circle. And that's why people can do terrible things without any pangs of guilt from their conscience. In fact, the apostle Paul writes about people who become so evil. Here's what he says. He says their conscience is being seared as with a hot, hot iron. Now Now, sadly, if somebody has been burned on their skin, those nerve endings are deadened, And there are some people whose conscience is deadened. So God has revealed himself to everybody through creation and through conscience. Those two expert witnesses testify to every person on the planet. There is a God. He does exist. Now, we move to the second phase of the message. We've talked about light. Now, let's talk about truth. God's truth if you don't use it you'll lose it Uh, that's the truth about God's truth if you don't use it you will lose it you see God's truth is not something that you can just take and stick it in your pocket and wait and use it on a rainy day it must be responded to when you receive it all right let's go to that one verse parable again in verse 25 of Mark 4 for whoever has Jesus said, more will be given to him. But whoever doesn't have, whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's not talking about money. Not talking about food. Not talking about health. It's talking about truth. Think about it. If you have God's truth and you act on it, guess what? You'll get more and more and more God's truth. But if you have a, very, a little bit of God's truth and you don't act on it, you, you lose what point you have. So, there's two ways that human beings may respond to God's revelation through creation and conscience, okay? Let's examine those two two options. Number one, those who reject God's light experience spiritual darkness. Let's just say this this is knowing God over here, okay? And it's a big light. This is knowing God, all right? And it's light. Everybody that is born into this world, they can have that witness of the light because it's not hidden under a bed. It's not hidden under a table. It's everything that is there is revealed. But there's one of two ways they can respond. They can reject that light. And if they reject the light, guess what? It gets darker and darker and darker. Now, all of us are prone to, at a certain time in our life, choose to sin. And in that time, it's like we all turn away from the light of God's truth and God's righteousness. Now, the Bible talks about what happens to these people that reject God's light. We're back in Romans 1 now and verse 21. Romans 1, 21. For though they, meaning everybody who saw conscience and and creation, although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became worthless And their senseless hearts were, looked at at that word, darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Throughout history, people have worshipped statues and idols and things they made with their hands, whether there's a golden calf or whatever. Birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. I mean, their thinking became so dark and they worshiped the wrong thing. I, in India, they, they worship cows. They revere cows Well, people are starving. You know, that's the result of it. Therefore, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the Creator who is praised forever and ever. Amen. So they believed a lie. They, they rejected the truth of God and they believed a lie. What is, there are lots of lies, but what, what, what is the lie? The, what is the, the fatal lie? It is the lie that Satan told Eve in the book of Genesis. The very first lie is still the lie today that people are believing. You know what Satan said to Eve? He said, you know what? You won't die if you eat that fruit. In fact, you're going to become like God. You don't don't need God. You can be your own God. And that's where we are today in our culture, folks. I mean, people are more interested in meology than theology. They they, they worship themselves. I I mean, that's why they take those selfies of themselves. They they are in love with themselves. They worship themselves in their own image rather than God. So here's what we're talking about. You, You turn from the light of God's revelation. And it gets darker and darker and darker and darker until you get into idolatry. You get into sexual immorality and you get darker and darker and darker and your mind becomes more and more poisoned. And don't we know a lot of people in our culture that have turned their back on God and now they do terribly evil, wicked things? Well, the Bible says that's what happens now. But there is another option, okay? There's another option besides having your mind darkened. Number two, those who follow God's light find Jesus. Now, this is very important. Those who follow God's light find Jesus. Okay, here's the light. And if you move toward the light and you keep on moving toward the light, the revelation of God, guess what? You will find Jesus. You won't just find God. You'll find Jesus. And as I said, all of us at one time, we were lost. The Bible says at one time we were all children of darkness and we were spiritually dead, but there was a time in our life when we heard the gospel. And guess what we did? We made a U turn. And the Bible word for that is repent. And we turned toward the light. And as we turned toward the light, that's when we found Jesus. Now, this may be hard for you to comprehend, but anybody, whether they're in Timbuktu or Nepal or in the de- deepest, darkest jungle of Uganda, if anybody will be true to the light of God's creation and the conscience, and they keep going toward that light and seeking that light, they will find Jesus. Even if God has to crash an airplane in the jungle for somebody to tell them about Jesus. And, you know, I have, I have hundreds and hundreds of stories from around the globe, of people who did exactly that. And I want to tell you three of them quickly. Let's go to story time. Two of them are from the Bible. One, I'm from the mission field. Story number one, Acts chapter 8. There was this Ethiopian official who had gone to Jerusalem to worship God, even though he didn't know the truth about God. He was a God seeker. He wasn't Jewish. He was there in Jerusalem, and he's on his way back to Ethiopia because he served Queen Candace he was a high-up official and so there's this guy in the book of Acts chapter 6 who was elected as one of the prototype deacons his name was Philip he was in Samaria preaching the gospel and all of a sudden the angel says hey got a new assignment for you I want you to go down out in the desert and when you get to the desert I'll tell you what to do next and Philip said yes sir and he went down there here to the desert all of a sudden, he sees this chariot going by with this Ethiopian union. I don't think the Ethiopian official was driving the chariot. I think he had a chariot driver and a whole entourage. And the angel said, okay, go up and get in the chariot. So divine rendezvous. He went up there. And guess what? This, this Ethiopian official apparently had gotten a copy of the book of Isaiah in Jerusalem. And he was reading from the most evangelistic passage of Scripture in all the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 like a sheep dumb before a shear, so he opened not his mouth. And so the Ethiopian official says to Philip, uh, I, I'm confused. I don't know who he's talking about. Is he talking about himself, the prophet, or someone else? And this is exactly what it says in Acts 8. It says Peter, um, uh, Philip started at that moment and told him about Jesus. So here's a guy in Ethiopia. And by the way, I, I preaching. in Africa dozens and dozens of times, and I always talk about the first African who came to faith in Jesus Christ. So here's this guy over in Africa who's rejected the traditional African religion of the Ethiopians. He says, I believe there's one God, creation, conscience. So I'm going to find the truth about that one God. And in his seeking for the light, he even ends up in Jerusalem at one of the Jewish festivals, gets a copy of Isaiah, and then out in the desert, this stranger comes up, sent by God, to tell him about Jesus. Story number two, two chapters later, Acts 10. There's this Roman centurion, I mean, very important Roman soldier. And his name was Cornelius. And he was in Caesarea by the sea, which was a beautiful Roman palace there that Herod had built. And he was a God-fearer, meaning He had rejected the pantheism of the Roman Empire, the Greek mythology, all those gods. And he had come to believe there's only one true God. And he would even talk to this God, even though he didn't know who that God was. He even did acts of kindness in the name of this God, even though he didn't know who that God was. One afternoon, he was talking to this God that he didn't even know. and, And an angel came to him and said, hey, send some of your servants down the road to Joppa, which is about 25 miles south. And tell them to go to a place called Simon the Tanner's house. And they'll find this guy named Peter and bring him back up here. And he'll tell you the truth about this one God. So that's what happens. These servants take off for Joppa. Meanwhile, Peter's up on the roof. And he goes to sleep and has a dream. And in this dream, he he sort of sees a blanket laid out. And all kinds of animals are in there. Some of them were kosher some of them were non-kosher, like there were probably some camels in there, some hogs in there, maybe some shrimp, lobster, because that's not kosher for Jews. And, and then in this dream, a voice says, get up, kill those animals and eat. And Peter says, I'm not going to do that. I would never defile myself with non-kosher food. And then God says, what I have called clean, don't you dare call unclean. And it happened again, same dream. Happened again three times. God really has to get through to Peter because he's kind of hard-headed like a lot of us are. So finally, after the third time he sees this dream, there's a knock at the door and here are two of Cornelius' servants and said, you know what? Our master was praying and angel said, come down here and get you to go see him. Now, before Peter had that dream, he never would have gone into a Gentile's home, just like he would never eat non-kosher food. He would have been defiled if he had even gone into the home of a Gentile. But now he goes up there and he goes in and Cornelius tells him what happened. So Peter tells him about Jesus, and Cornelius and his entire family put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So here's another example of a pagan Roman, no Bible, no church, no gospel, didn't even know Jesus, the name of Jesus, but he's going toward the light. He keeps going toward the light, and God says, okay, Peter, you go down there up there to Caesarea and tell him about Jesus. And there's just so many stories from the mission field. I could tell you lots of them. But here's one of my favorites. Southern Baptist missionary, Rob Moore, was in Tanzania in 1992. He was riding in his truck along with an indigenous Tanzanian pastor. They were going out to do some mission work. And they were on a real dusty road. There was a vehicle in front of them just throwing up dust. And out of the dust came another vehicle, and they had a wreck. Almost a head-on collision, but nobody was fatally injured. But the... Africans in the other vehicle were injured and so uh Rob Moore and this uh uh, indigenous pastor they were praying for them and so as they were praying over these these injured Africans some some more Africans kind of come out of the bush three men and they said we for over a year we have rejected our shamanism we we kicked our witch doctor out of our village and we believe that there's only one true spirit, one living spirit. And we've been asking this living spirit to, to reveal himself to us. And today we were told to go down here to this road. And so after this car wreck, Rob Moore and this African pastor tell them about Jesus. And th- these three men from a certain village give their heart and lives to Jesus Christ. It takes 48 hours. Things don't happen fast in Africa. It takes 48 hours for them to get a, a record to come get their truck out because it was total. So they're there for 48 hours. Meanwhile, 20 more men from the same village come. They preach to these 20 men and they all give their hearts and lives to Jesus. See what they were doing? They're going toward the light, going toward the light, going toward the light. And even though God had to make cars wreck. He sent someone to tell them about Jesus. And they started a church, a church that's still in existence today. And if you speak Swahili, you'll know the meaning of the name of this church. It's called the Ajoli Church, Baptist Church. That translates accident Baptist Church. Because of that accident, those Africans learned about Jesus Christ. But my friend, it was no accident. It was the rendezvous of God who says, if anybody seeks me and goes toward the light, they will find Jesus. So sometimes people stumble a little bit when they think, well, okay, pastor, what about? What about that person on the other side of the world that never has a Bible, never hears about Jesus, never goes to church? How is God going to judge them? Well, that's not your concern or my concern. You know what? God is a good God, and He does all things well. He's perfect in His mercy and perfect in His justice. I'll tell you a better question that you should be thinking about. How will God judge somebody in East Texas in the shadow of a thousand churches in the presence of 50 million Bibles, 50 million preachers in the state and the nation, hearing about the judgment of God? How will God judge that person in East Texas who's heard and heard and heard and heard? And rejects the truth about Jesus. That's why we (laughs) try to make his name famous. That's why we go across the road and across the globe to tell everybody about Jesus. So that's what we're doing today. So go out and let's keep on doing what we're doing. Telling people about Jesus. People leading people into a life-changing, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. And if you're here and you don't know the Lord, I'd love to lead you in a simple prayer of faith so you can put your faith in Jesus. Or if you're watching on live stream, wherever you are, I invite you just to bow your head, close your eyes, and repeat this prayer after me, silently but sincerely. God, I know I'm a sinner. I can never be good enough to earn a place in heaven. So thank you for loving me so much that you sent Jesus I believe Jesus died on the cross to take the penalty for my sin. And now I want to live for Jesus. Jesus, please come and take control of my life. Thank you for forgiving my sins. I'll live for you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.